everybody, welcome to another special bonus episode. It's a sit down with Pastor Jared Burkholder and two of our global partners, Landon and Jenny Lamas. Many of you know the Lamases, but uh, there's a good number of you that don't. In this episode, you'll get to know them, how God is using them in their work, and what he's doing in their lives. Thanks for streaming. When you guys come back to the States, what are you most excited about to get your hands on? Either food-wise or experience-wise, like, what are the top three things that you miss the most? I always tell people, and then when I get the chance, it's true. When I get to go surfing, I love it. So we were at the beach the other day with family, and I got to go out on this beautiful day, sunny, the water was calm, the waves were good. I was actually by myself. There were not a lot of other people out there, and it just reminded me why I love Southern California in the ocean, and it was just so calm and peaceful, beautiful day. So that was great. So for sure, I don't get that chance in the Czech Republic. So that is definitely something. Not a lot of oceans there, or what's going on? No oceans. Some lakes and some rivers, some Mm -hmm. cold creeks, but no ocean. I hear creek surfing is pretty great, though. Jenny, how about you? What are you you most? We have a list of restaurants in Santa Clarita that we have to hit up, and we're always hoping that they, they didn't go out of business. Yeah. So if people want ideas, so we go to Tofu House. I've been there only with you guys. I've only ever oh, been there twice, only ever with you guys. Like we now go once a week at least. To, it's like our secret know. gem. Yeah. Yeah, Tofu House. Not uh, made public. Yeah. We love fish tacos and... Mm. Um, yeah, Rubio's. Rubio's. Rubio's, okay. And then time with family, of course. Time you with know, family. We always like yeah, far down the family. list. That's, that's I mean, you get your pumpkin around, spice. Yeah, yeah walk right. around Bridgeport. Yes, that was so fun. It's like really relaxing mm-hmm. seeing all those billionaire houses. Yeah. Knowing you will never live there, but... <laughs> well, if you play the lottery in faith, yeah. yes, that could happen, yeah. But Okay, conversely, when you're here, because you're going to be here longer this time, six months, what is it that you begin to miss the most about home? I miss people back in the Czech Republic, for sure. I think I obviously miss our apartment where we live. And I think, you know, the team that I work on now within the college, there's just a lot of fun things that are happening. And I, you know, look forward to catching up with them, seeing students, being with that core team. They're a great team to work with. So I think for sure it's people and uh, it's our place. It's our home. Yeah. After a long time, I start missing Czech bread because that's just Mm -hmm. a staple you grow up with. It's way more like rye with caraway seed Okay. Um, than the bread here. Have you heard about Wonder Bread here? It's pretty nutritious. <laughs> okay. No, I have not tried it. <laughs> and then just being able to walk everywhere because the cities are set up differently. So you can just run errands but not put too many things on your list like you would here when mm-hmm. you can drive. So your day is not as crazy. Yeah. And I think life in Czech is a little slower and there's a lot more public transportation that you take and there is just something i find peaceful sitting on the tram getting on the stop knowing it's going to take 20 minutes to get downtown seeing all the people out in the public and interaction and being able to take in the sights and the cities and the smells of our of our town so for sure miss that for sure I'm here with Landon and Jenny Lamas for a special episode of the Magnify podcast. Landon and Jenny have served as our partners in the Czech for a long time. I was remembering it's been eight years. Yep. More, almost nine years, coming up on nine years. Yeah. Uh, when I came out to Grace, I came as the junior high pastor and Landon was serving in that role. And so I got to overlap. We overlapped, what, three weeks before yeah, it you was, left? It was short. It was a short it overlap. Was short overlap. He tried to teach me a lot of things and I didn't get any of it, but... Uh, Landon has served in a ton of roles growing up here at Grace, served on staff as the college, college director, college director, high school director, yep. junior high director, yep. 
senior pastor for four days, was yeah, it? Yeah, four days, yeah. senior pastor. Four days of senior pastorship. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, just for people who don't know you, for people who, who have, are relatively new to Grace, just kind of give us both of your backgrounds and then talk about how you guys met. Great. Yeah. I grew up here in Santa Clarita, was born and raised in Canyon country, went to junior high at Sierra Vista, went to Canyon high school. And from, I think first grade, I started going to Grace Baptist church when we were at the old campus next to the master's university. And my family has been a part of this church ever since, and my parents just jumped in, got involved with an ABF, got their kids involved in the student ministries, and so my childhood was just growing up, going to this church and being a part of the different ministries. And I am so thankful for, I could look back just from elementary school to junior high, high school, even into college, just godly men and women who invested into my life from this church, people who just committed to serve and be a part of the ministries and had a huge impact on my life. So yeah, I grew up here and then went to college in Northridge, Cal State Northridge, and have been uh, involved with the ministries of this church. So as I got older, I wanted to kind of give back from all the people that impacted my life. And so I was able to serve in uh, high school and in college while I was studying uh, and have been, yeah, been a part of this church from first grade. Pretty That's wild. Awesome. That's awesome. Jenny, tell us about your background. A little different than Landon's, perhaps. Yes. So I grew up in the Czech Republic. Uh, I am Czech, so English is my second language. Um, And I grew up in a Christian home, which is pretty rare in the Czech Republic, where about 1% of the people claim to be evangelical believers. My parents were very involved in the local church, and uh, I think I definitely knew about Jesus from a very young age, but it's really hard in a country where you are a very clear minority. So you kind of growing up, you have the challenge of living a double life where you're a Christian at home and in your little local church of, you know, 50 people. And then at school, you don't talk about it. And so I definitely remember that challenge and remember um, growing in my faith. And actually, the first time I met Landon was when I went to uh, an English camp where I was serving And that's how we met, because he came on a missions trip to my country to teach English, and I was one of the translators and helping at that camp. Okay, that's great. Talk to us about how did you get on that trip? Had you been, was that your first missions experience? Had you been involved in in Mexico with the youth group before that? Yes, I had gone to Mexico on like a weekend trip. So I'd done some little, little short-term trips, but this was my first overseas, like really significant trip, raise support and so on. And it was an interesting way that the Lord used different events because I was leading a small group. I was my first year of college leading a small group of high school boys here. And one of the boys came to me and said, Landon, they're doing short-term trips. One of them is going to Fiji. We should totally go and we will serve Jesus and surf. And to me at that point in my life, that seemed like a very logical and biblical foundation for missions. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yep. so I was like, let's go to this meeting. Let's learn more about Fiji. And then I went to the meeting and they mentioned Czech and it really didn't like sound all that appealing. And because there was talk- no surfing. There was no surfing. Of course, yeah. And they were talking about like teaching English. And I was like, nah, not, not my thing. And then they talked about Cambodia and Fiji and, and the both of those sounded more interesting. So my application literally said like Cambodia or Fiji. And then Mike Gaston, who was the missions pastor at the time, he called me and said, hey, we need more young people to go on the Czech trip because it's the English camp for high school students. And we want you and one other one other applicant to consider going and moving to, to that trip. 
And so me and that other applicant, we were friends and we talked and we said, what do you think? And we were kind of, well, you know, Mike Gaston, we, you know, we got to kind of go, go with his advice on that one. Yeah. So we ended up deciding, okay, we'll go to the Czech Republic. But really, I knew very little about the Czech Republic and about the ministry, but was just going and trusting that God would somehow use that trip um, in, in some unique ways in my life as a freshman in college. And I think if I remember the story, you got off the bus there at camp and then there was like a, a flock of doves that were released and you look across and you met Jenny's eyes Something and then instantly knew. Very similar. Right? Very, that, very close. Very right? close. So we were on the balcony of the hotel mm-hmm. that was doing the missionary training, short-term team training. And I come out on the balcony of my room and Jenny comes out onto the balcony of her room and I look over at her and it was at that moment that the, the wind from the hills yeah, came yeah, up and her yep. hair blew and the yep. doves and everything, yeah. It's funny that the music played from heaven at that exact moment, isn't it? I mean, wow. The birds were singing. Jenny, how did you experience all that? Was it like, here's this American guy who's making <laughs> eyes at me and I'm, I'm not having it or what was well, going on? Well, I knew that he was on the American team that was going to work with us at that game. So I did have a motivation to get to know all of the members. But when... When he walked out and he looked very tan, which we don't get a lot of sun in the Czech Republic, <laughs> so he looked very, you know, different than the Czech guys. And then he said his name was Landon. And actually, that summer, the movie that all the Christian girls watched and were crazy about is called A Walk to Remember. Oh, yeah. And the main guy, was his Landon. name was Landon. What a sign. And so that was the only Landon all the Czech girls knew, like from this movie. And we all <laughs> dreamed of like having that kind of a love story. And so when he said, my name is Landon, and then he was tan, I was like, wow, this guy is something. That's all it took. The yeah. tan Landons, how it started. Yep. It's a good thing there weren't two tan Landons. That could have made that That's very right. challenging. So walk me through then, you guys met at the camp. How did your relationship progress and develop? And then how did the Lord bring you guys together as a married couple? Yeah. So we met at the camp. Uh, and I think at the camp, there was actually a moment where God kind of was testing my heart. Like, okay, are you going to stay focused on reaching young men and investing into this? Or are you going to try and, you know, spend time and get distracted with this, with this co-leader and, and translator? And so it was, a it was actually a powerful moment when it was like cold outside and this kid with a Frisbee came and was like, Landon, do you want to go play Frisbee outside? And then like Jenny and all the other kids were inside playing games. And I was like, oh, I would so much rather just stay inside in the warm and go play a game with Jenny than go throw a Frisbee with this guy out in the cold. But I was like, all right, let's go throw the stinking Frisbee, you know? <laughs> so there were moments like that, I think at the camp that were kind of little tests, but we left that trip in that, you know, that summer and... I really just thought, you know, this is really unique, godly girl. It's cool ministry, but I have no idea, you know, if anything would ever come of that. But then she came and studied in America. She studied in Minnesota at a college for six months. And so when I found that out, I was like, wow, this is interesting. You're you're here in the States. I could call you and talk to you. You guys weren't dating then. So it wasn't like you no. came over to be close to Landon. This no, was just totally no, separate. that was already okay. planned. Yeah. She just came to study. And so while she was there, I started kind of writing to her and started calling her and talking. So we kind of got to know each other a little bit. And then over the Christmas break, she came out to California to visit some family friends. And so I was like, you're in California. Like, I've got to find a way to see you. Mm -hmm. So I used the excuse of, oh, come down to Southern California and see all of the people from the Czech trip that you met this summer. You know, mutual group. We can all hang out together. I will just happen to be the one who picks you up and drives you around for the whole week. So basically, listener, if you're picking up on this, one of the great ways to meet a spouse is to go on (laughs) one of our... I'm just kidding. Don't do that. So Walk to Remember 2 had just come out. You had came down to see Landon and others. Talk to us about your perspective in that. Yeah, so I... 
you know, I got to meet him at the camp. I was very impressed with how um, kind he was to everybody, how he shared his testimony up front, how he was serving. So I got to watch him a lot um, in the group context. And so when I came out to visit some of my friends in Northern California and he was just insisting, like, let's do a reunion, you know, I was just thinking like, okay, that makes sense. Like I'm a Czech person from far away and you guys are all excited about this mission strip that just happened. So I understand that you all want to see me. But then he just was very kind, you know, like I'm going to be the one to pick you up. And do you want a latte? And like, I just was kind of wondering like, what is happening? I really want to guard my heart and not just, you know, start daydreaming immediately. He told me later, the feedback is that I felt very cold to him because I wasn't showing my cards, you know, because I didn't want to. I had no idea what he was thinking, even though there were hints of it, right. but I didn't want to interpret it wrong. But you knew when you showed up at the reunion and it was just landed, what was going on, right? <laughs> well, actually, I showed up at the reunion. It was all the kids. It was great. But then all of a sudden, there were all these other people that were definitely not on the check trip, but seemed to know everybody and was hanging out with us because they were invited. And so I asked this lady next to my right, like, oh, and who are you? Oh, I'm Landon's mom. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and then this lovely gentleman, I'm Landon's dad. And then uh, Dave Fogelsong, who he works here at the right. church, one of Landon's best friends. Well, Landon called them all up and said, okay, this girl is in town for one night. I need you to come here and see her, to meet her and tell me what you think. Because I'm like seriously thinking of starting to date this girl. He's looking across the room for thumbs up. I I had no idea. And then to make matters even better, you know, talk about discreet. My dad, for those of you who know my dad, Rick Lamas, he, he was talking to Jenny and he goes okay jenny you know nice talking with you and then he says okay so i have a question for you how do you say beautiful in czech because landon's gonna need it and jenny's just like oh my what's going (laughs) on at least they were subtle about it yeah very subtle i was so confused that's funny but eventually you know like so the reunion finished it was a really nice night i met his whole family (laughs) and then the next morning (laughs) my third cousin (laughs) And then the next morning, he took me out to breakfast before my friends picked me up to go up to Northern California again. And uh, at the breakfast, I was like, okay, well, it's just the two of us. I don't know why he requested this meeting, you know, so he probably has something to say. And he just was goofing around and we talked about like nothing at that breakfast. I was like, okay, just interpreted it wrong, you know, just calm down, close my heart to this, like, you it know, took me a little while to, be to, true. to build up the confidence yeah. and the courage, you know. And then we were finishing the breakfast and my friends called and said, you know, we're going to be late. We're so sorry, but like we're going to pick you up in an hour. So Lynn said, that's fine with me, you know. And so <laughs> I think at that point he realized I have an hour to say something or figure this out. And so he asked me, where would you like to go next? And I was thinking, okay, somewhere like romantic to maybe like mm-hmm. help him out, right? <laughs> and so I said, maybe a park. And so we got in the car. I didn't know Santa Clarita. I didn't know where a park was. He grew up here, right? He told me later he was so nervous that in his head, he just couldn't figure out where was the nearest park. 
He was like all of a sudden lost in the city he grew up in. And so we just kept driving through all these streets and it was like looking for a park. And back then we didn't have smartphones. It wasn't like you can right, just like right. ask Siri, you know. And so I eventually, I knew there was a park up in this area, and I was wrong. Yeah. There was no park over there. So <laughs> eventually, like 50 parks in Santa Cruz. I know. <laughs> we just stopped by someone's beautiful house with a front lawn, and they had a little wall there with a tree. So we definitely, I think, were trespassing. Well, but it was. It was like it was like a mutual like city protected little grass area with a tree and a little wall across the ho- street from someone's house and I was like that's our park for today baby yes. <laughs> that's so what we got <laughs> we sit under a tree it was nice that's nice um, that's nice yeah right by the street there were cars <laughs> flying by you know but and, in there I told her basically you know long story short I would like to get to know you more and I am interested in pursuing you and seeing if if this could be a a relationship that would, you know, grow into something more meaningful. But I, I scared her a little bit because from like the first conversation I said, like, my purpose, I want to be clear, like I do want to see if this is something that would lead to marriage. Mm-hmm. So he dropped the M word. You'd kiss dating marriage. goodbye and so you yes. were ready. It was just yep. direct to marriage. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I know we've been together now for a breakfast in this brief park time. Let's Yep. Yes. So for the second time, I'm just gonna assume you guys got married then. We did. Yes, we did. And so you've been married for we've been married for Almost 13 years. 13 years. Okay. Talk me through then, both individually and collectively, your call to ministry and then pair that with, so where you guys are at is home for you, Jenny, not home for you, Landon. So how'd you guys talk through that process? Yeah. So when we were dating, we talked about the whole issue of cross-cultural marriage and would we live in the Czech Republic or would we live in California? And we both said to each other, yes, I am open to living in either country. So both of us had that willingness to go either way and we're open to you know where god would lead us so there was no like we have to live here but we also as we were pursuing that recognized it would be best for us to start our marriage in california we had a solid church i had a job she had a job that she could get and so that's kind of where we decided to start was let's let's start building our marriage and foundation here and yet in that, we continued to talk, and every summer we were leading these short-term trips to the Czech Republic, and so there was this growing desire to say, okay, we, we love the Czech, we feel God's calling us there, we see ourselves serving there, but how does that look long-term? And I think for me, it was it was a slower process to get to the point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to move and go serve at Josiah Venture. I think Jenny had gotten to that point faster, and so we were working through that of like, okay, I sense clearly that you're ready to go. I feel like uh, God's working in my heart and, and continuing to draw me to the check, uh, but I'm not sure yet if like now's the time. So I actually sat out, uh, sat down with Mike Gaston, had a good conversation with him, and he was great and able to just kind of advise us through that. He also d- had done premarital counseling and continued to just counsel us through this process. And through that conversation, he said, okay, if you want to take these steps, one of the requirements is you need to have training in Bible and theology. And I was a business major, so I hadn't done that. And so I was like, okay. So we ultimately came to the point, I remember I took Jenny to the beach and said to her, like, I sense like now after these conversations and in prayer, like God is calling us to the check and I'm I'm ready to go and start that process. And she was very excited Mm -hmm. to hear that. Um, but yeah, that led then to still, there was a lot of preparation. So I had to go and end up doing a master's in theology. And during that time was serving here at grace. So it was actually a really beneficial time. I'm really grateful that Mike Gasson guided us that way because I got to gain a lot of 
practical youth ministry before we went that I was able to build off of when we got there and the the theological training which has opened up doors later down the road mm. but it was uh, it was hard at the time I think to feel that sense of call and you just kind of want to go mm-hmm. but there was a lot of wisdom I think looking back to taking time to prepare and doing some of that training so that when we got there we were we were ready to go I think that's so significant in ministry, particularly in missions, though. It's that internal call paired with an external affirmation, right? So it's this desire of I want to serve the Lord and I want to serve the Lord in a cross-cultural context. But other people who uh, who affirm that, who see those giftings in you and say, yeah, we actually, we can see the Lord drawing you that way. So it's not just I want an admissions trip and I think living somewhere would be sick, right? It's more than that. Jenny, what was that like for you growing up? Did you always think of yourself in ministry and missions or was that something that, that happened later? Well, when I was a a teenager, I was definitely trying to figure out if I was just going to be a Christian in my church and at home, but not a Christian at school kind Mm. of thing. And someone invited me to an English camp, like kind of the same model that eventually Lyndon and I met at. But when I was 16 years old, I went to my first English camp, which was Uh, organized by Josiah Venture, and there were missionaries from Josiah Venture who were American. Some of them were Czechs, but they were leading and running that camp. And I remember being at that camp and realizing, I don't know what this job is called, but this is what I want to do when I grow up. Because I realized for the first time that I do have a strong faith inside. I just had no idea how to live it out in the Czech Republic outside of my home where nobody, you know, believed in Jesus. And so I saw at that camp that the missionaries were sharing the gospel in such a natural way. And it was all based on a personal relationship with the kids that I realized, okay, this was the missing piece. It's the relational piece. And it's also just just talking about your life and being honest. And I could see all of my peers so open to it. And nobody was offended at that camp. There were great discussions. And we were able to just do that whole camp in peace, Mm -hmm. even though the kids were clearly hearing the gospel and reacting to Mm -hmm. it. I just realized this is what I want to do when I grow up. And I've never seen such a hunger in my peers when I would just, you know, be in my local high school because I didn't know how to do this thing. I didn't know how to ask the right questions or I didn't know how to share my story. So from a from my teenage years, I felt a very strong call to missions, but I did go through, you know, formal education because in the Czech Republic, university titles and degrees are a big deal. It just, it means a lot to people and the higher, the better. So a bachelor's degree is not that big of a deal. You want to get a master's degree and just people go up and up as much as they can go. And so I just knew that if I wanted to be a missionary in the Czech Republic, I wanted to have a formal education with as high of a degree as possible so that even the non-Christian parents would respect me as someone Mm -hmm. who's speaking into their kids' lives. Mm -hmm. So I, I went... Uh, and got my master's degree, and I just worked through the the levels of what the Czech society would consider very honorable and respectable, but I knew in my heart that I wanted to do full-time ministry one day. And um, when I moved to the United States, knowing that um, really Landon was a gift from God for me, and that if we were to do ministry in Czech one day, even though that wasn't guaranteed, that he was going to make us stronger together rather than if I was just doing this ministry alone. Mm. And so I went out in faith, but it was very hard because I left 
uh, all of the girls that I discipled, I was very active in local ministry. And so coming to the United States, part of the culture shock was that I came to a really big church mm -hmm. that had so many pastors on staff and so many volunteers and everybody seemed trained and everybody seemed like they knew what they were doing. And I just was this tiny little light that nobody really needed here, I thought, because there was a great need in the Czech Republic. So it took me a while to adjust and realize that no matter where you live, you can be a light because only you have a certain amount of relationships that no one else in that church has. So you want to be a light wherever you live. But it definitely was homesickness at first and a culture shock of just how many Christians I was surrounded by. And uh, I... I had a heart for going back the whole time we lived here, even though I wanted to learn this culture and love this country because it was the country where my mm -hmm. husband grew up. And so I even got my citizenship. And I think that God used this time to teach me that whatever plans I have for my life, his plans are so much bigger. And he strategically planned for me to be um, far away from home for way longer than I would have wanted to, to show me that he has a plan for all the nations and that he can make my heart bigger for more relationships than just the Czechs. Mm -hmm. So I, I led um, a small group here of high school girls, and it was just so cool to be like, I can disciple girls in America or in the Czech Republic. It really doesn't matter yeah. wherever God has you. So it was a great process for me to come full circle where when I came here, I was homesick and I just wanted to go back as soon as possible because there was this great need. But then I realized through, through the prolonged time here that God was totally comfortable about the time frame because he's totally in charge. And so by the time we went, we went from a community that knew me and loved me also, not just Landon. And I felt we were sent out really well. That's awesome. So in God's amazing kindness and providence, you guys ended up going to work in the same field that had brought you guys together that had been significant in your life. You guys worked in camps for a while in a variety of capacities. We've talked about that in the past. I'd love to talk about what you're doing now because I think that's really significant. So the Lord has shifted you guys to a different location and a different focus of ministry. Um, I'll, I'll let you fill in the nuance here, but Landon, you now get to work in essentially theological education, training up other yeah. young men and women to be involved in ministry and yep. in missions. Jenny, you get to work in, among other things, in discipleship and and lots of other responsibilities. You get to work in helping Americans gain uh, culture and language in an area that they're going, which both I think are tremendously helpful for sustainability and missions. So I'd love for you to talk about um, what you guys do a little bit more specifically and then why you feel called to that and then how that kind of fits into the picture of uh, of mission. So really help our church family understand why are those two areas really essential for, yeah. for missions and ministry? Yeah. So I think when we were going, we knew that God was calling us to the check. We weren't totally sure how that was going to unfold and where exactly we would fit. And so we started out doing camps and we loved that. And we had a lot of experience with that. But as time was going on, uh, there was an opportunity that was starting to grow within Josiah Venture that there was a partnership that they were forming with a school from the UK to be able to start a bachelor's program in Bible and theology and mission. And before that, Josiah Venture had just had like a one-year Bible certificate, which had worked well and lots of people had gone through it, but it lacked uh, a certain level of credibility because it wasn't an actual degree. There was no certificate. There was no actual um, you know, diploma at the end. It was just a little paper. And so 
we knew long term for Josiah Venture to really have long term impact for these young leaders that we're reaching, we're sharing the gospel with, and we're training up is to take another step, and that is deeper theological education. And so there were a lot of young people who had heard the gospel, who had become leaders, who wanted to go into ministry, were serving, but they really didn't have great opportunities to get a solid Bible and theology education. And so that is what led Josiah Venture to search for something that we could start offering. And we found this school from the UK, and they were open to starting a campus in the Czech Republic. And so Four Mission has now started a partnership with Josiah Venture. Four Mission is an evangelical Bible school in the UK that has multiple campuses around the UK. And now we've started one in the Czech Republic. And so when that was starting, that was four years ago, I was like, man, that is something I'm really passionate about. And my training in theology, uh, I love that. And I see that as really strategic long term for young leaders that they deepen their roots and their understanding of what they believe, why they believe it, and how they can defend what they believe. And we know that, you know, the ministry that we do is shaped by the theology we believe, right? And so all of the things that we're doing are ultimately a reflection of some of our core beliefs and convictions. And so when this started, I was like, man, that's something exciting I would love to be a part of. And so I started serving on that team from the beginning and got to play a role in helping kind of start our campus, which has been really fun. So there's this core team that is all working on this. And I slowly started the transition from the camps to to formation, and I've been teaching courses there. And God has just really affirmed that this is just a great fit for me. After the first year, I sat down with my boss, and we went over everything that I'm doing for the school. And I told him, I was like, 95% of the things that I've done this last year I loved and were like within my wheelhouse, like my gifting were used. And so that was a really clear, just like affirmation, like this is the right fit for you. So I get to help in the school. I teach. So I teach uh, a course on intro to Bible for the freshmen. I teach a course on church and mission within the church, how to help the church be missional. And I teach a course for the third years on change management and conflict resolution. That class is fun. Gets yeah. a little, gets a little spicy. A little hairy. It gets a little yeah. spicy, but it's great. Uh, and then I also get to oversee this element of the school, which I think really makes our campus and our school unique. Is we do a thing called work-based learning, and every student that studies at Four Mission is required to do a nine-month internship in a church or a nonprofit Christian organization while they study. So they are learning the theory in the classroom, but then they're required to do 12 hours a week in a local church serving. Mm -hmm. And so I oversee that program. I help them set up their internships. I help them set their goals. I help communicate with their supervisor from the church so that the supervisor knows how to lead them well and use them in the church. So it's a meaningful internship and it's not just getting coffee and filing papers. And I guide them through reflection on that experience. So I really get to, uh, it's been great because I get to take a lot of the experiences from the camps and interns we've had come in the summer and apply a lot of that to these students. But it's really, I think the exciting thing for me with that and at this school is getting to see the place where the theory and the praxis meet mm-hmm. and helping students process through what they're learning from that experience. That That's really exciting. That's awesome. I mean, I think... There's, there's so many different ways to think about and be involved in missions. And some of them are more maybe traditional to the way we think about missions. Yeah. I mean, even at Grace here, we have partners that are involved in frontline work among the unreached, which yeah. is so vital. Yeah. And yet there are so many places in the world where one of the most significant ways that we can be involved in seeing the gospel spread is really through training others who are just going to be better at ministry than right. as Americans we ever could be, right? right? It's really what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 
He says, in what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. So really it's being part in this long chain, this continuum of training men who can train men and women who can train men and women who can train men and women. Totally. And I I think there's even historical evidence that shows some of the most effective work that cross-cultural missionaries do is when they identify key leaders of the culture and they train them up and empower them to go and share the gospel because they just are going to be more effective. They're better at the language, they know the culture better, and they have more credibility among the people. And so while God uses cross-cultural missionaries and, of course, they can share the gospel and, and have impact, I think you can see and uh, there's historical evidence to support that when a cross-cultural worker invests into training up and equipping national leaders, it's that is where a lot of that long-term fruit mm-hmm. comes from. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting for us to be part of, and I'm, I'm loving it. And the students that I get work with, I mean, I, I pray for them, and I'm so excited to see how they go and change the Czech Republic or Hungary or Poland uh, uh, for, for the kingdom of that's God. Awesome. Yeah, and I mean, the goal of missions, especially, is to work yourself out of a job, right? And so one of the ways you do yeah. that is by seeing leaders equipped so that then, as Americans, we're not we're not needed, right? right. And right. I think especially it's exciting to think about um, the opportunity that in a generation or so that you have Czech theologians who are writing in their language and culture. So it's not just translating works from other cultures and other languages, but, but you have people in the Czech Republic who are theologizing for their own people right. and writing for their own people. Yeah. And one of my students that I oversaw for his dissertation, he wrote a whole article on how uh, the church can be more effective at engaging young people. And I think some of the ri- the works that our students are writing are going to be really instructive for churches in the Czech Republic and in Europe to be reading. So I think it's exciting to see students doing academic research that could actually be something that that context and people in that culture are reading and going, man, that's really helpful. That's really helpful reflection and insight. And, and we're going to change how we do things because of the paper you wrote. Right. It's exciting. Yeah, and the systematics of theology really arise from the questions that we ask of the text, right? It's always encoded in the text itself, but theology happens when we're asking particular questions about what the Word of God says about particular issues, right? right. And in a lot of ways, that is culturally uh, situated, right? So the, the things that Czech Christians might be thinking about are not necessarily the same things we're thinking about. So right. deaf people who are theologizing for their, for their own people is awesome. Right, right. So Jenny, you get to be involved in all those things and a whole lot of other things, but also... You get to help Americans in language and culture acquisition as they would come into another country to do ministry there. Is that right? Yes. So I just recently stepped into a role in missionary care. Hmm. And I think when people think of becoming missionaries, they usually think of, you know, let's go over there and encourage and support and give and give and give. But they don't think of how hard it's going to be on them. So I don't think everybody is cut out for ministry in the cross-cultural context. And that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. And the people who go out there... Uh, are very impressive in the sense of how resilient they are, how they persevere in learning the language, how they are in such uncomfortable situations at the doctor where they don't understand or the road signs, all these things. So it does take a toll on you. And um, I think as Josiah Venture grows, it's been around for over 25 years, we are realizing that, that even though people primarily go to missions to support and give, and we are not this spa, you know, where they get this amazing care. And we're not a hospital as an organization. We really need our workers to be in the front lines and to push through a lot of hardships. But we also don't want to leave them hanging in areas where we really could give them a hand. And so one of those areas is language acquisition. 
And over the 25 years, I can say that the people who have come um, are in all kinds of levels of learning the language. And I think that we have some people who just are prodigies and they learned it and they're almost bilingual and they actually teach in the language and we are all so impressed with them and we give them as an example of what you want to strive for. And there are other people who just never got the language and they ended up doing all of their ministry in English and yet I can totally see how even the ones who are doing their ministry in English, let's say with college students one-on-one -on -one discipling them, because these college students can't speak good English, they are still a huge blessing. So it's this unique um, scale from, you know, bilingual to struggling like crazy. But I feel like we can do better. And I feel like there are usually two kinds of missionaries who go. Those who are super confident and think they're going to just learn it in two months. And that's a myth, you know, and they're absolutely unprepared for the struggle. And then there are those who come and they're dreading it from the beginning. And they kind of already know that they were not good at their Spanish class in high school. And so they just take that and go, well, this is going to be the same. And I just will never really learn it. I'll just have to survive this part. And so... I am taking a course through Wheaton and I had no idea that they had this whole department that's just for people who want to learn missionaries to learn, learn the language. Mm. So it's called language coaches. Okay. And so we are realizing in Josiah Venture that we want to um, have more support on the field because we do have some pre-field training for language. But then when people get on the field, we usually just say, okay, figure this out. We are giving you the hours for it. We will give you any support you need, but you kind of need to figure it out. And I do believe missionaries have to be very independent and self-directed in many ways. But with language, I think that most Americans just don't do languages. Mm -hmm. And so they don't know how to learn another language. So we are trying to figure this out in Josiah Venture, how we could provide more support. And I am someone who loves languages. I studied languages in college. And so this is this is exactly, you know, something that I get passionate about mm -hmm. where other people don't, which yeah. is totally fine. And so I'm gathering as much information and we are now working on um, some language policies and direction and kind of goals for our missionaries without trying to put pressure on those who might never fully be you know, amazing, yeah. because we do not want to guilt trip anyone because we have seen that people can have a ministry in the language or in English, even though it's going to look differently. Mm. Yeah, I think missiologists talk about how the incarnation provides us a model in that, right? That that Jesus came and adopted a particular culture and language, uh, even though he was the creator of all, all cultures and all languages, yes. right? And so I think there really is something to that. In my experience, I saw that the missionaries that lasted the longest and at least seemed to be the healthiest were those who weren't trying to recreate the United States in another culture, but who understood their background and heritage and still celebrated aspects of that, but tried to give themselves to acquiring another language and culture, knowing that they're never going to fully be there, right? So, I mean, even people who've lived in another country for a really long time uh, never fully shed all the aspects of their Americanness or their, their home culture, but at least can, can begin to feel at home in another place, yeah. right? 
Um, so, so if you guys have been there, Landon, I know you worked really hard to learn the language there. Just how have you observed that? Like what is sustainable? What are some principles of sustainable missions uh, that you've seen kind of enacted as people have tried to to figure out what it's like to live in another culture and context? Well, one thing I would say from the American's pr- perspective, you know, being American, living in a foreign country now for eight years, there is on one level just an aspect of perseverance that those who just stay end up gaining a certain level of credibility and accomplishment that only is you know possible by being there long term. And so there's there's a guy there who he's been there over 25 years and he's such an inspiration to me. He's not great in the language, he's decent, he can do it, but he's just been faithful and he's just been there and he's invested into young people's lives and he's just continually been plowing away and he's invested over 50 young men that he's discipled over the time there. And I just think what what an amazing legacy. But of course, there are certain things that are more than just being there that help you uh, and, and help you be healthier. And so I think that a big piece is obviously learning how to get more acclimated to the culture and learning how to live there in a way that you can be more at peace while doing your daily activities. And so if you don't get to a basic level of the language, then you're always just operating with this level of stress Mm. of just daily activities that is hard. Um, And so the more that you can learn the language, that's a huge piece. But then also the more that you can create a home and a world in this culture where you are living and among the people and you feel like you're a part of the society and you're accepted. So the more that you have cultural acceptance and you can do activities with people and you can engage in the normal activities, even if you don't speak perfectly, you're going to the sports games, you're hanging out at the mall, you're doing coffee shops, you're going to church and you're giving announcements. Like being in the culture and participating in activities allows you to feel like you're more a part of the life there. And I think that helps in longevity. And then I think there's just some practical things about how you maintain health, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. spiritual health, regular spiritual disciplines, exercise, eating, stress management, all those things that that are heightened when you live in a foreign culture. You have more stress, you have more challenges, but having good healthy rhythms and good healthy habits helps a person when they're dealing with the normal struggles of just a cross-cultural existence. So I think some of those practical things are things that end up getting a lot of attention because if you have bad habits, they will bring you down a lot faster in a culture where you already have a lot of stress and pressure. Yeah, and I think, I mean, God calls people to to foreign contexts for, for different periods of time. And every partner that goes is useful to him, so whether it's three years or five years or 10 years or 30 years. But I do think just the principle of sustainable missions is really significant, right? And I think for us on the American side to recognize that even though we're in a place where most people speak the same language, we just can't assume that our neighbor has the same culture that we do, right? Um, this isn't a homogenized country. It's not a homogenized area. And so... Uh, even in my neighborhood, I interact with people from different backgrounds and languages, yeah. and it's just good to to make yourself a student of that right. so that you can build genuine relationships for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. And there's a tremendous amount of diversity, but we have to put the effort to care about the mm-hmm. other culture and the people and to want to learn, having a posture of openness and desire to understand and to ask questions and to listen versus assuming that they're just going to have to accept my culture and my way of doing things. Mm. It's really important. I want to talk about your personal lives. Um, for those who know you and who get your newsletters, you guys are just honestly generous in sharing details of hard times the Lord has walked you through. I mean, um, even as we were talking the other day, there's there's several different issues that, that have happened, just things you guys have walked through that are really hard. I'd love to talk about infertility. It's something my wife and I have dealt with for, uh, well, for longer than we realized, <laughs> but we realized it about 10 years ago. Um, it's often something that 
people deal with in, in silence, right? So uh, it's not necessarily something that's broadcast. There is seasons of loss that we experience in that, that again, aren't, aren't, as, um, aren't as visible as losing an actual family member. And yet we can feel those and, and grieve with those just as significantly. So um, for whatever you're willing to share, I would just love to hear um, what that experience has been like for you guys. Uh, what is some of the, the hardship that you've walked through and then how have you seen the Lord meet you in that, even as you're continuing to, to deal with it and struggle with it today? I mean, yes, definitely. Infertility is a very personal thing. It's hard to know how to talk about how much to share, not to share, when to share. But it is something that God has brought into our lives. And so, you know, when we got married, we just expected we're going to have kids. We wanted to have kids. We were looking forward to that. And then a couple years in, we started realizing we're not getting pregnant. And that, you know, started looking into some tests and, and figuring out what's going on. And so God has brought us on a journey that has included uh, not being able to have children, biological children. And so there's so much that's been into that journey uh, that God has used to grow and shape and form us, but it was not something that we expected in any way. And it really came to a head in our first year on the field in the Czech Republic. So that was pretty uh, earth-shattering in some ways to like be dealing with cross-culture, you know, culture shock, trying to get into a new job, new church, new city, and then realizing that we also have uh, infertility and, mm-hmm. and serious struggles for that. And I don't know if, Jenny, you want to share kind of how we discovered that and what that meant for you? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with endometriosis, and that doesn't have to Im- like immediately mean uh, infertility, but for over 50% of women with endometriosis will also struggle with infertility. And so we just started, you know, trying to look for ways to heal this or um, trying to look for some, you know, medical help. But endometriosis is chronic. It's not curable. And it really messed up my body. And so we had to come to a place where we are focusing more on my health than on getting pregnant. Uh, because endometriosis can get to a level where it's really scary. And so that's where we're at. We're just taking care of my health. And we really had to just um, wrestle with, um, you know, this this path. But it's also interesting. You have to wrestle with how to share these things and who to share them with because most people mean really well. Mm -hmm. But I would say the most common reaction is... Oh, so you're just going to adopt, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a very noble calling, but we don't feel that calling on our lives. And I think the people who so quickly react that way without even saying, I'm so sorry, that must be hard, mm-hmm. are the kind of people who are uncomfortable to sit in that pain for a little bit with me. And they're immediately offering a solution that might not be the right solution for me. It feels like they don't understand that we think about this day and night for the last 10 years. So we've actually considered everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I would just love for people to know that the best answer is seriously, I'm so sorry. Mm. Because even though you think that's not offering anything, no solutions, not trying to like get you out of this right. pit, right. it's really a gift when you sit in it with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are naturally wanting to help you, right? And that's understandable. Yeah. And oftentimes as men, we want to try and fix things, right? We're good at fixing. Uh, And so it's easy to try and find the solution as quickly as possible. 
But in infertility, you realize that there's not always quick fixes. And in some ways, God has called us into a path that includes profound sorrow and hurt and sadness. And the answer is not just, how can I get out of that as quickly as possible so I don't experience that? But it is, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this hardship and this great pain? And why, you know, why are you allowing this in my life? And sometimes we don't get the answer to the why, but we can know that God is doing something meaningful and strategic and purposeful in this. And so it is, it's extremely painful. And there are days where it just feels like it's overwhelming. And it's also in our marriage, you know, we both grieve differently. And we both have different times where we feel this stronger than others. And we've had to learn how to be patient with each other and appreciate each other's grief and journey of grief and how we're feeling it at different ways at different times. And yet we still love each other and we want to walk together through this hardship and not allow the enemy to use it to divide us, which is very common and very easy with infertility. This has been one of those journeys that has been kind of under the surface, it's not as visible, but it's been something that we've just been walking through our entire uh, time in the Czech Republic and and a couple, a year before that in, in America. And yet I think we can see how God has chosen not to give us children, and yet he has given us other opportunities And he is using those opportunities to allow us to have impact for his kingdom, but also to allow us to draw closer to him. And I think one of the one of the things that we have come to appreciate when the Christmas season, we always try and read an Advent together. And one of our favorites is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote in one of his Advent writings while he was in prison during World War II, waiting to be, you know, killed and he's writing to his sister and to his fiance i don't remember if this one who it was too but he says this christmas is going to be the best christmas because we have nothing else than jesus there will be no presents there will be no trees there'll be no lights we just have jesus and i think that has been uh, an image that we have held on to because in some ways you know it's like we don't have children and we don't have all of the things that go with the children and the presents and the trees and all that that naturally comes Um, that you look forward to doing with your kids. But God has said, I am giving you myself. Mm. And I haven't given you biological children, but I am calling you into a deeper intimacy with me that is through the path of sorrow. And you're going to be a more mature, holy person if you walk with me down this road. Mm. And we're learning daily how to walk that road with him. And I think I've heard many new parents say that when they like see their newborn for the first time, they understand like this new depth of love that God has for them. And I, I understand I could like just sit there and sulk, you know, and feel sorry for myself that I don't have this like layer of my relationship with God. But I think through infertility, mm-hmm. he has given us something that these new parents will never be able to experience. And it's just this unique dependence on him that goes beyond holding something physically or seeing your dream come to life there is just something that god did with our faith and with the closeness we have with him that that just puts our eyes more on heaven because that's really the only place where where things like this can be fixable Mm -hmm. where your tears will be wiped away 
and it's not going to be fixed here. So I think our appreciation for heaven mm. and Jesus coming and making all things right is just off the charts mm. compared to someone who has everything they dreamed of plus Jesus. So I think that's where it's not sinful to have all these amazing things, but there's a different challenge for people who have children mm -hmm. because they also need to cultivate their relationship with Jesus as if he's really the only treasure they have mm. for us because the biggest dream that was taken away um, is really like every day not there every day we are invited into mm. a relationship with Jesus where it's really nothing and Jesus mm. you guys are really really kind to share that thank you I think we could both fill books uh, of what well-meaning people have said that is infinitely stupid, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But I think just grappling with, uh, for, for singles in the church and for those who don't have kids, right, that you do not need a spouse and you do not need kids to be a complete Christian in your life. Yes. Right. Yeah, Christian maturity is not in any way tied to that, right? right? So there are experiences that, that come both in marriage and having kids that can accentuate your personal growth. Right. There are also obstacles to that, right? And there are experiences both in singleness and in infertility or and in not having kids that cause you to lean into the Lord as well, right? And so I think it's really just throwing in the trash this conception of Christian maturity looks exactly like this, mm -hmm. right? That because of the presence of sin in the world, because of the presence of, of disease and lots of other things, and just in, in part because of how God works in his design, he's going to lead us through experiences, both hard experiences and good experiences that cause us to depend on him more. Definitely. Right? And yeah. so I think just for the Grace family to know, uh, for anyone who's listening to us to know, um, just be so guarded in what you say to those who are who are single and those right. who don't have children, right? right. Um, because sometimes we make it seem like there's something ontologically deficient in those right. who haven't achieved these levels of relationship. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus would be outside yes. <laughs> the realm of that. And Paul. Yeah, right, and Paul and lots of other lots yeah. of other good people. And I think that's just something, you know, as people are hearing this and hearing our story, just a great question to ask when you're dealing with someone who's, who's going through infertility is just simply to say, can you help me understand your journey? Mm. How, how, how has this been for you? What, what has that meant for you? How has God used that in your life? Instead of trying to find the solution, just yeah. asking them to tell you about their story. Mm. I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. And understanding that while there are at times medical issues that need to be fixed, that people who are single and people who don't have kids aren't people that need to be fixed, right. right? I think sometimes we're, especially as Americans, oftentimes as men, we're just reaching for solutions and yeah, it's really seeing people as people first, right. right? Not as things that need solutions. Yeah, and and also I think we recognize like God wants to draw all of us closer to Him, and He will use whatever circumstances are in our lives to do that if we will respond appropriately and allow Him to do that. So having kids will challenge you, and you'll have opportunities to draw closer to God through that. Not having kids will provide new challenges, and God can use that to draw you closer to Him. It's ultimately a posture of saying, Lord, I want to become more like Your Son and use the circumstances and the situations in my life to draw me closer to you. And we either have that posture of wanting to be closer and wanting to be taught and formed, or we have this posture of I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm hurt, therefore I'm closed off to what you're trying to do. Mm. Which is the heart of idolatry, right? That I want something more than I want Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Right. I love talking to you guys. It's been great. Um, and I get the privilege of doing that the next few months. Landon and Jenny are going to be around at Grace, so definitely feel free to stop by uh, and talk to them, committing in your heart to not say anything dumb about the things they're going through. Um, they're going to be in service here uh, sometime coming up. But given that you guys have served in other contexts, have served at Grace, 
both of you, what would be one, I'll leave it just open to whatever the Lord put on your heart. What would be one encouragement towards the Grace family as we would think about being faithful to Christ, faithful to his mission, faithful to his church? What's one thing that you just would want to encourage uh, the Grace family with? Yeah. Well, the first thought that comes to my mind is for the people at Grace who are serving and are part of this church, just know you will maybe never know how the kid that you're investing into through one of the ministries of this church is impacted by your service. And sometimes it can feel monotonous and tiring and, oh, another this, another that program. But the people that you are serving are going to be impacted and you can have eternal fruit by just the simple act of taking time to invest into a young kid in the church. Mm. And I am a testimony of that. Mm. That's great. Yeah, and I remember when I first moved here and was just so overwhelmed by the size of this church and several services and, you know, but I I didn't give up and I sat in the same section, you know, of the church and started talking to people and I started going to Women of Grace and just all these different opportunities and I didn't give up even though I missed my friends at home and I was making new friends, so I'm... Um, very thankful for how friendly this church can be. And I would just say to anyone who has grown up here where this is like your stomping grounds and you feel so comfortable, you know, have your eyes opened for other people who might be new and especially for other people who might be immigrants, I would even say, who are just trying to make a new life in the city and uh, and just be welcoming, invite people over. It means a lot. Hmm. Thank you, guys. Lynn and Jenny, you guys represent uh, the best of our global partnerships, people who love the gospel, love the church, love each other, uh, love this church family, and in whom are showing not just that you care about the gospel for other people, but the Lord is continuing to deepen your love for him and your walk. So uh, we just know that we're, we're so thankful for you guys. We're so thankful that you're part of our family. We're thankful that we get to be in partnership with you and thankful for your time here today.